And uh, I'm going to minister this morning on the continued series, Walking with a King. And the title that I'm going to give this is Under Assault. Under Assault. So in this series, what Walking with a King has really reflected on, and we started this back in uh, November, actually. When we started this series, we started with the very first week was that word where Christ said, follow me. And it is important that I reiterate again so that everybody has an understanding of what that meant. And when he went to each disciple, wherever he found them, we know more about a couple of the disciples than we do about any of the others. What we do know about all of them is none of them were born again. Not a single disciple. Now see, in our church mind, in our religious mind, in our churched mind, we want to believe, because it's easier to believe, that every single time he called one, they already had relationship with him. They did not. We, the only way to be born again is through Christ. None of them had received Christ. None of them were yet born again. All of them, most of them anyway, but all of them would at some point actually walk away from him. Whether it be for a day, an hour, or a season, all of them would ultimately walk away but it was irrelevant. When Christ went to each one of the disciples and he looked at them and he found them where they were, he did not look into their face, he did not look into where they were, he did not look into their condition, he looked at their heart. And he was looking for people that he knew that he could depend on to establish his kingdom in all of the earth. He was looking for people that would have the tools that are necessary to stand when standing wasn't easy to be a voice when everything around you wanted to close your mouth. He was looking for people that he knew on the worst day would be the kind of people that he could still depend on. And he did not go to them and say, walk with me because you're saved. Walk with me because you know me. No, he went to them and he saw the potential in each of them, regardless of the condition of their heart, he saw the potential of those people and he said walk with me and while you're walking salvation will come much of the church world today and I started with that message follow me and much because there much of the church world today we want to invite people into the kingdom of God as soon as they get cleaned up I mean I've been to churches my wife and I have ministered all up and down the eastern seaboard of the United States we've ministered in the Midwest in church, over 103 churches that we 103 churches that we ministered to last count and in all of those churches in most of those places that I would go to where they were at that time was they were looking for a specific kind of people to come in the doors of that church they were looking they were not looking for the alcoholics they were not looking for the drug addicts. They were not looking for the homosexuals or the pedophiles. They were not looking for the rapists. They were not looking for the people who were cast off. They were looking for the people that were mostly clean. All, if all we got to do is wipe your nose, we can do that. If we got to change a diaper, this isn't the place for you. It's true. It's true. But that is not the nature of Christ. 
The nature of Christ has been and still is since the beginning of time. He was sent into the earth to do the purpose of his father. He said, I'm going to go. I'm going to be obedient to your will, not my will. My will is I want Jimmy to be the one to go to the cross. But your will is that I go and I get on that cross and then come off of that cross, then go into the grave and then come out of the grave so that these men, these women, these sons, these daughters can be redeemed and you can get, find them right where they are regardless of how filthy, raunchy, and nasty they might be, you can find them, and when they walk with you, if they're willing to walk, when they walk with you, you'll change them. See, again, too much of the church world is looking for people to get changed and then come. Get changed and then be a part. That is not the kingdom of God. Everybody say, that is not the kingdom of God. It is not the kingdom of God. It is not. And again, I remind you, the day is coming. You're going to look around this room. You're not going to know who they are. But there's going to be people of every sort. The kind of people are going to be sitting beside you that you wouldn't even live next door to. I want you to pray that that happens next Sunday. No, I'm not sure. No, I'm I'm sure. Because such are the kind that the Father is looking to redeem. And I want to continue this series today, Walking with a King with a Message Under Assault. And I want you to turn with me this morning, if you would please, in your Bibles to John 15. And then I want you to hold your, put your finger there, and then turn also to Matthew chapter 11. John 15, put your finger there, and then turn with me to Matthew 11. Father, help us today to receive, stand with me if you would. Father, help us today to receive this word. Help us to get it into our heart. Help us today to see deeper into it. Let there be revelation that comes to us. Let us not settle with what we hear with our ear, but let us receive what it is by Holy Spirit you want to release into the spirit of every man and woman that's sitting here and gathered here today. Those who are present in this room and those who are on the other side of that glass that are streaming live today. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your anointing. Heal us, fix us, make us willing to allow and to be a part of everything that you allow and are a part of. Let us not decide what your parameters are, but let us expand our borders. Let us expand our borders until our camp matches your camp. Amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. So in John 15, very easily put, it doesn't get any simpler than this. He said, you did not choose me. Everybody say, I did not choose him. He said, but he said, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I wonder if we were all honest with ourselves, what, what hole was it that he found us in? Some of us were in really deep holes. Good to see you today. Some of us were in holes that weren't so deep. Some of us weren't, didn't feel like we were in holes at all. But he said, it doesn't matter because you didn't choose me, Patrick. He said, I walked up to you in your dream, on your job, in a Sunday morning service, in the yard, while you're driving down the road. I walked up to you and said to you, Brian, you aren't choosing me, but I'm choosing you. Michaela, today 
I'm not coming to you because you've chosen me. I'm coming to you because I've identified you as able. I didn't choose you. I mean, you didn't choose me, but I chose you because I'm identifying you as capable, as instrumental, full of potential, full of ability. Oh, I know, I know, you don't see it all. I know you only look in the mirror and you see the places where you feel like you've come up short and how in the world could God really accept this? He said, I know that's what you see, but that isn't what I see at all. I don't see the tax collector sitting at a table collecting taxes from the Jewish people. I see Matthew, a disciple in whom I can trust and depend on. I don't see Judas, a betrayer, I see Judas who has potential, and whether he lives up to that potential is totally up to him. How does he react when he comes under assault? I see you as capable, and I came to you because I chose you. And on any given day, when any of us are feeling a little bit low on ourselves, or a little bit down on ourselves, or a little bit like we're coming up short, and we're a little bit inadequate, or maybe a lot of bit inadequate, we need to remember, you know what? He, chose, he knew exactly what he was getting. On the worst day of my life, I am not surprising God. When I've made the very worst decision I could have possibly made, I am not surprising God. Because God isn't focused on the worst decision I could possibly make. He's focusing on and waiting on the decisions that I have the potential to make. He is looking at you, Angel Hoagland. And he's looking deep into your soul where your mind, your will, and your emotions exist knowing that there's always battles that go on in the soul of man. And he's looking deep into your soul and he's not looking at the failures. He's not looking at the letdowns. He's not looking at the moments where you feel like you came up short. Instead, he's looking at the possibility, the decisions that you're going to have the opportunity to make. And he called you, he chose you because he believes you will make the right choice. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And not only did I choose you, but I appointed you. I said, wait until you see what you become. Woo! Wait, Nick, until you see with your eyes what I see with mine. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I'm dealing with a challenge right now in my own personal life. Let me share this story with you. It's a sad story. I don't mean it to be sad and I'm not trying to depress anybody, but if you're going to be depressed for a few minutes, feel my pain. I love my dog. Love my dog. I've had my little chocolate lab now for a long time. And the day he came into my life, he was this little, and if I cry, 
It's because I love my dog. But he's going to go to sleep for the last time Tuesday morning. Maybe I should tell a different story. But when I brought that little dog home, and he was a little chocolate puff. I mean, he literally was. He was just a little chocolate puff of fur. He was so tiny. I think he weighed maybe seven or eight pounds. He was just a tiny little squirt. Sweet. And I love that puppy breath, man. We'd put, him, put our face up to his face, just let him breathe in our face, and just I'd suck all that breath in. I was breathing his I don't like his breath now, but I loved it then. <laughs> I don't, I keep my distance now. <laughs> but I love him. He's had an amazing life. And you know, the thing about that dog that is amazing to me is I've never had an animal that loves me back like he loves me back. If I walk from one room to the next, he's sitting right there by my feet, no matter how much pain he has. He can barely get up. We have to help him up. But he's going to do everything that he can to get up, and he's going to go to that next room with me. And as soon as he gets there, he's going to lay down. You let him go outside, he's, he's, he's going to lay down. He can barely go to the, get to the place to where he can go to the bathroom himself. And it's hard. It's hard. But some of the ailments that he's dealing with today, he's dealing with because of a delusion. A dilution of genes and of blood. See, a chocolate lab is not chocolate by nature. They're chocolate because they've been diluted with the black lab and the yellow lab. And somebody in England thought it was going to be a really good idea many, 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 many generations ago. And thought a chocolate lab will show better than a black lab or a white lab. So they begin to mix the genes up, and they begin to mix up the cells of a white and a, a black until they came up with this chocolate. And when they developed this chocolate, what they found was as beautiful as a chocolate is and as wonderful as their disposition is and all the amazing things that go with being a chocolate lab, what they did not consider is that anything diluted loses its purity by default. And anything that loses its purity loses the full extent of its potential. So while a black lab and a yellow lab might live to 12 to 14 years, a chocolate lab is doing good if they get to 10. Because the genes don't allow him to live without disease and sickness. And it comes on quick. And my dog lost 20 pounds in less than two months. This is depressing. <laughs> I'm getting somewhere. It's because I love my pup. And so does Christ love you. In the grief I share, is the same kind of grief Christ shares when the process is diluted. He said, I chose you in the same way that we chose my little pup. When he walked out, when those, there were seven or eight little chocolate labs that came running out of that kennel when we went and picked him out when he was a little bitty puffball, and they all ran to us. 
the ears flopping. <laughs> and we're all sitting out there outside of this where we got him. And we're sitting outside and all these little puppies, they're just jumping all over us. And my wife said, he's the one. I mean, we got seven or eight dogs running all over us. She said, he's the one. We took his little chocolate self home. Man, he just became a part of our family. No one else's. He's bitten about a half a dozen people. But other than that, he's a part of our family. He's a little like us. We bite sometimes. But he said, I chose you and I appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit and so that your fruit would remain. Everybody say, so that your fruit would remain. See, the problem with dilution is there's nothing left. You cannot take the diluted seed and then suddenly make that seed original. A chocolate dog, chocolate lab, will always be a chocolate lab, and there's nothing they're ever going to be able to do with the genes in a chocolate lab to make it as pure as a yellow lab or as a black lab. There's nothing that they will ever do because once that seed is deleted, it cannot be restored. It will never, never live up to the potential of a yellow or a black lab. Never. And he said, but I chose you that you should go and that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. The reason I tell the story with him is because when I think about what it took and how much we love him and, and, every, and all that goes along with having little Hirsch. <laughs> I'm about to get to a happy spot. When I think about all that goes along with him, I could not expect more out of him than what he's given me. Because he was deluded to the point where he cannot be perfected. Because he was not God's creation, he was man's creation. In the same way Christ looks at you and me. And he says, you didn't choose me. I chose and appointed you so that you would bear fruit and so that your fruit will remain. But in order for fruit to remain, the only way that it can happen is if you're working with the original intent and the original seed. An undiluted purpose. Amen. So that whatever you ask in the, in the, the Father in my name he may give it to you. We'll get, cover more of this in a moment. Turn with me, flip over to Matthew chapter 11. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Let me read it again in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence or has been coming Violently, It has been coming upon us with a violence against all aggression. And the violent or the passionate take it by force or they lay hold of it. Amen. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. Violence. 
Now, I want you to understand when you read this word suffer, do not for a second think suffer means a bad thing. This is a good thing. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence in the same way that we suffer the little children to worship with liberty. To suffer doesn't mean to be in pain or pained. To suffer means we make room for something. We accept that this is part of the purpose. And it's a good thing. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. It has been coming violently and against all aggression, but it can only stand when we go back to John 15 and we understand that it will only stand where there is no dilution. No dilution. Not diluted. So that whatever you ask in the Father's name, He will give it to you. I want the purity of the kingdom. I don't want a kingdom. I don't want to be a part of the kingdom of God that has been diluted, watered down, made acceptable to the masses. It is acceptable to the masses, but it's not going to be acceptable to the masses because we're changing it so that the masses don't change. I want a kingdom that is the kingdom today. It's the kingdom tomorrow. It's the kingdom the next day. And it isn't changing, but the people coming into the kingdom are. And the violent, the passionate, take it by force, lay hold of it. Let's talk about that in just a second. So let's talk about first what it means to fly under the radar. See, the kingdom of God is in every sense of the word. It is under assault. And I've heard people refer to this. This is not a statement, cliche, or whatever you want to call it. This is not a statement that I coined, but I've heard people say it before, and I've repeated it before, but I've said to people before. In fact, I'll use an example. I've, taught, I've, I've heard and used the statement flying under the radar. Well, let me just say this. And the reason that people fly under the radar is because if you fly above it, if you fly too high, and they, knew this, they know this in the military, if you fly a certain height, you're going to be picked up on radar. If you fly low enough, that's why some of those intercontinental ballistic missiles fly so low, because they won't be detected. They stay under the radar. They cannot be detected. They become stealthy and they fly under the radar and they do some of these and they, they, do some, they, they make it, they're impossible to see because they're escaping the ability of someone else to know they're present. And the enemy is very good at flying under the radar when it comes to diluting yeah, right. the kingdom of God. 
And what we need to understand is the kingdom of God, listen to what I'm telling you right now, the kingdom of God is not houses, it is not buildings, it is not roads and streets, it is not blocks and subdivisions, it is not cities, states, and countries and nations, it is not what the kingdom of God is, it is you. The kingdom of God is you and me working on behalf of the Father. And the enemy is very aware. The only way that I can tear down this kingdom is if I attack this thing. There's two forms, two fronts. There's the offensive front of the enemy in most battles most wars all wars there's offense and defense there's the offense but in this war there's the offensive front of the enemy and even those of us who know Christ as king we are the offense there are two offenses because the enemy is attacking the kingdom to tear it down but we should be attacking the purpose and the principle of of it to maintain to give it life The enemy's assault flying under the radar, it's discreet. He says, this kingdom thing is so massive and it's so big and these people are finding their way in it. They're walking with a king and while they're walking with this king, change is coming to them. Change is coming. Change, the longer they walk, the more change comes. I, how can I get into this thing? How can I attack that? How can I disrupt that? How can I dilute that without them knowing that I'm actually diluting it? Let me do it through popular opinion. Let me do it through social media. Let me do it through the opinions of many. Let me do it around the water cooler at the office. Let me create questions that they would never ask. And his deception evolves. There's an, I'll call it this, it's the evolution of deception. Because the enemy recognizes the more that we press into the kingdom and we assault, we violently, violently come after the kingdom. I I will lay hold of this. And I'm going to be violent about laying hold of this. Not laid back. Oh, you know what? If the kingdom happens, it's all up to God. I'm just going to let God take care of it, and I'm just going to lay back here. I'm going to sit back here. It's all good. Who, who's bigger than God? God's got this under control. It's the enemy lying to you. Because when we come into this thing and we lay hold of it with a violence, I want to tell you, we own it. Kingdom suffers violence in this, in this way. We are approaching this thing. As the pearl of great price. But there's an evolution of deception. What the enemy does is he flies under the radar long enough and he says, I'm going to sow these seeds and I'm going to dilute the seed. 
I'm going to dilute the seed. I'm going to dilute the vision. I'm going to dilute the, pro- the process. I'm going to dilute the purpose of the kingdom of God. I'm going to dilute it. And I'm, going to, and I'm going to plant these things in people's minds. And I'm going to begin to tear this thing away. And they're not even going to know I'm doing it because I'm flying under the radar. And then I'm going to evolve. And once I, I get that and they figure out that, then I'm going to evolve a little bit. And I'm going to change how I dilute it. See, way back when it was, it was you know what, we're just going to change uh, the way we do little things way back whenever. In the Reformation... You know, we're going to put this uh, thesis up on the door and we're going to let people know that salvation doesn't come because of what we do. Salvation comes because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And we're going to put this on the door and we're going to let everybody know it and, and we're going to take a stand and we're going to change things. And, and that's the beginning. And the enemy realizes, you know what? I've got to find a different way uh, to work because these people are figuring out my tactics. I made them believe it was by works for so long. Now they've figured it out, so I'm going to change that. And then slowly but surely, he begins to evolve, and his ability to dilute evolves in such a way that he believes that we'll be suckers. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had as the enemy flies under the radar, how many conversations I've had with people, and the same is true of you. How many conversations you've probably had with people you can't even believe you're having that conversation. People say, do you think God would be pleased with this? And you're befuddled. You think, is that really a question? Somehow you think God would be okay with that? You think that honors the Father? And you're befuddled. You're shocked. Until the day comes that you're not. There was a day you would look at things and say, you know what? The integrity of the kingdom is paramount until it isn't. The value of the kingdom, it's paramount until it isn't. Truth is absolute until it isn't. Because we have a savvy, savvy, savvy enemy. I don't talk about the devil a lot because he has no power except for the power you give him. And I just choose not to give him any power. This will never be the kind of church, the kind of building, the kind of congregation you come to and I talk about the devil every week. In fact, I, I don't even remember the last time I said devil. He has no power over me, no power in me, no power in this place. The only power he has in your life is the power that you give him. All his authority was robbed, ripped from him when Christ died and rose again. But he's still savvy. And the kingdom is under assault. And and the danger is when I look at this thing, if I look at the kingdom and I, I look at it and I see it as some far distant place. Listen to what I'm telling you right now. How close is the kingdom to you? If when I say the kingdom, are you picturing this place somewhere outside of where you are? Because you feel more, you will be more prone to protect what is in you than you will be to protect what is outside of you. So the enemy has this keen way of coming against the kingdom by flying under the radar slowly but surely Christian he begins to plant these seeds through all these different ways it doesn't make social media is not bad 
Facebook isn't bad. No, I don't like it, but it's not, that doesn't make it bad just because I don't like it. I don't think God likes it. That's why I don't like it. <laughs> I tell you, when, when God has a Facebook page, I'll join. Or I'll be consistent, I think would be the right word. What's our approach? Because the assault is discreet, but the apprehending of it cannot be. Two offensive fronts. The enemy has one and we have one. The enemy is attacking it to tear it down. Are we willing to attack it with a passion that upholds it? You need to hear me. What is our approach? How violent am I? And the violent, the passionate, take it by force. They lay hold of it. When I think of the kingdom of God for me, Sydney, when I consider the kingdom of God, there's not another option for me. When I consider the kingdom of God, there's not even a foyer in it. I consider I'm either all in or I'm all out. When I look around the world today and I see what's going on out there and then I look at you and I see what your capacity is and what your capability is. I'm moved with what Yahweh God has trusted you and me with. If I can lay hold of the kingdom while it's under assault by an enemy that is savvy, discreet, well-disciplined, knowing when to raise his head and when not to. We don't even need to worry about that enemy when we accept that the kingdom of God is within us. It's not out there, Tim Darnell. It's not out there, Sturton. It's here. And you can't dilute the seed that's in here. Enemy. You can't come in here and begin to make me believe that suddenly some things are right that never were. You hearing me today? One of his trickiest tactics has been that he has suddenly not suddenly, but more obviously. Done what would seem impossible, and that is to make even believers question. How important is it that we carry on?
Even believers are getting up every single day and beginning to ask themselves, is God really real? Now I'm seeing all of this stuff. Is it really possible? Even believers are getting up now and beginning to ask themselves questions. That was wrong then, but is it wrong now? Can I tell you today, if it dishonored God in the beginning, it dishonors God today. If it dishonored him when he made Adam and Eve, it dishonors him when he made Steve and Kim. And see, I have to accept that when it, when it comes to walking with a king, I have a responsibility. I said to the team before we came out in the first service this morning, I said to the leadership team, I said to them, I said, we're never off the clock. Did you hear what I said? We are never off the clock. You and I, if we really believe in this thing that God has called us to, and if we really believe that we're walking with a king and he's really changing us, he's changing us. He's changing us. But there's no day off. And there's a need every day to stand up and to be strong because that enemy in every single way is trying to get to your kids and trying to get to your kids' kids and trying to get to the generation you can't even dream of yet, and he's already working on the generation you don't even, and you may never meet. You don't know, and you may never meet. He's already looking for a way. What can I sow unto them by the time this comes around? Right now, today, I use, let me, let me use this example. Because we're a multi-racial, what, let me, let me rephrase this, I got to do this right. Outside of this building, they would consider us a multiracial church. I don't. Because I'm not interested in race. I'm not racing you if you're a different color than me. We don't get caught up in arguments. We live because we're always on the clock. smile (laughs) how do I pursue the kingdom of God by not letting these silly little things now somebody might be offended because I call it a racism a silly little thing it's not a silly little thing it's actually a stupid thing and it only exists in the minds of those who entertain it Because when you entertain it, you give it life. Just like those who entertain the enemy give him life. I'm not saying at all that it's not going on out there, but I'm I'm talking about what's going on in the kingdom. And I'm not an out there guy. I'm an in here kingdom guy. What are you? What's your approach? Do you bring out there ideas? And try to bring them in here, that's dilution. That's what the enemy does. If I can get them, if I can get outside thinking inside, 
I can begin to water this thing down. Do you hear me this morning? Walking with a king means that there is an assault on every side. Some of it is what the enemy does and some of it's what I do. And I hope my assault is greater than his. I want to attack every thing that the enemy tries to bring into the kingdom of God. I want to attack and I'm gonna use it again and I use racism because it's so prevalent outside this bill. You can't turn on your television without hearing somebody say, this is racist or that was racist or this was racist. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing about what's racist and what's not. When I hear it, I just wanna vomit doesn't make atrocities non-important. But what it does do is it distracts us from the ability to depend on the one who can eliminate the atrocity while we focus on the issue instead of the one who can solve it. But see, the enemy has evolved, and our approach has to as well, in this sense. When you get caught up in it, can we just repent and say, Father, get me back on track? Help me focus again on what is important. Help me lay hold of the kingdom. Let me be violent about the kingdom and its purity and what it represents. Let me be violent about that. I'm not mad at somebody because they're black or they're white or they're brown or they're yellow or they're pink or they're gold or whatever. I don't want to be mad at them. I don't want to. I want to walk in your kingdom by your word and be changed and be a changer. For those that are wondering, people that are striking hands and putting money on the floor, those that might not understand that, I just want you to understand that's a, it's a trade. All of this is sown into somebody else by word and by spirit. I don't keep any of this. But the striking of hands is an agreement saying we're laying hold, we're agreeing with that word. That's right. I like it when somebody has to stand up and they have to do something demonstratively they have to physically change their position and able to, in order to come into agreement with something rather than not that amens are bad or hallelujahs I do the same thing but I but when we say amen and hallelujah we don't have to move or change our position but the kingdom's always requiring us to change our position we have to change our position today there's a changing of position in people's lives and we need to be willing to get out of our seat and change our position so that he can begin to do in us what he wants to do If I can change my position, I give him something more to work with. Amen. Come on, man. That's what I'm talking about. Amen. 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 I knew coming in with this word today, under assault, I knew it was going to be a little heavier. I thought I would try to interject some things here and there to try to lighten it up. But I don't want to take away from the depth of this word. So how do I pursue the kingdom of God? By not mixing a yellow lab with a black lab. So that at the end you're suffering the consequences. 
Do you hear me? By not watering down his word with the word of an enemy. We do not. We do not accommodate the enemy. We do not set a place for the enemy at our table. Is anybody hearing me in here today? So the reasoning, what are my reasons for violence? What are my reasons for laying hold of the kingdom? Or what are my reasons for my lack of violence? Have I become a believer in the interpretation of the opposition? Or do I still hold fast to the king's vision? And if you don't understand what the king's vision is, it's hard to lay hold of it. But the king is Christ. And understanding what his vision of the church is, of the body of Christ is, we are the church, each of us. But understanding what his vision for the body of Christ is, is the beginning of us being passionate about defending it and laying hold of it in an offensive position. If I believe, let me tell you what Christ can't do. Establish a kingdom on his own. Christ's kingdom, without you and me, cannot stand. In fact, it's so important that others are involved. He said, listen, if you won't praise me and worship me, Worship meaning coming in alignment with my purpose. If you won't do it, the rocks will. Because it can't be done alone. I can't do it alone. He needs you and me. We've been given something, people. We have been given an opportunity. We have been given charge of something. Something that we can literally lay a hold of. And the enemy has come in and he sneaks in here and there. And I want you to do this today. This is where I want to I bring this today. I want you to recognize those places in your life and the kingdom that the Father has given you charge over, those places he's given you authority. In what way has the enemy snuck in a window? In what way has he mixed your yellow lab and your chocolate lab? In what way has he taken the truth of God and mixed it up with the truth of man? And caused you to get so focused on figuring that thing out that you miss the fact that living the life of Christ, living this life in the kingdom, is really effortless. I'm never off the clock, and yet I don't even have to break a sweat if I'm doing this right. Walking with a king makes me responsible for things that outside of that relationship I would not be responsible for. If I'm not walking with a king, I have no responsibility over the kingdom of God. But because I'm walking with a king, I have responsibility. And that kingdom is under assault. I'm going to tell you, you don't have to look far. You don't even have to look outside. 
You don't have to go down the block to figure it out. You don't have to look far and you can see the kingdom is under assault and it's under assault by an enemy who is sly, he is slick, he is savvy and he is getting in places that you wouldn't think just like a rat can fit through a size of a hole the size of a quarter. I'm telling you the enemy is exactly the same way and he's looking for ways to slip in there and then to divide. And see, it's like a little think about think about this. Think about carpenter ants that get into the wood of a home. They can come up through the cracks of the foundation of the house, through the concrete, get up into the walls or a termite, get up into the walls and they chew that wood. You have no idea. Until one day you start hearing cracks or you see something settle, you see the wall, the sheetrock begins to crack and you're trying to figure out what's going on. It's because the integrity of the structure is being forfeited because something snuck in and began to dilute its integrity and you didn't even know it. So you call in a carpenter and they come in and they take off that sheetrock and they find a two by four that used to be solid full of holes with sawdust filling the void that's between the two walls, the two layers of sheetrock. They say, you have a problem. And the only way to do this is to rip this thing out and do it right. What the enemy wants to do is come in there and he wants to sneak in and he wants to come in under the radar and he wants to take away your ability to have a solid structure with integrity. You and I have opportunity today with passion. We need to lay hold of the kingdom. Lay hold of the kingdom. Recognize those places in our life where the enemy has snuck in, where the enemy has come in through a door and maybe we even let him in because we thought it was something else, Tim. Maybe we went to the door and we didn't realize he was a Jehovah's Witness. Not that they're the enemy. I'm using that as an analogy. Not my enemy. They might be yours, but they're not mine. But he came in because he looked like something other than what he was. Let me wrap it up by saying this. I want the kingdom of God so badly in its purest form. I want to stand and I want to be able to say, I can say this, Father. When you call my name, you will not find a man deluded. But you will find a man. While under assault, I am doing the assaulting for all the right reasons. When you call my name and you look into the deep parts of who I am, you're not going to find a man that is willing to water this thing down. But you're going to find a man who stands. And when sometimes it's easier to do it another way, I'm going to do it the right way. Sometimes when it would be more comfortable even to acquiesce and to give in to the rest of the ten people that are seated at the table, I'm going to stay the course. Because I'm laying hold of this thing with a passion. And I'm not going to try to excuse those places that I've allowed the enemy to sneak in and disrupt or dilute. I'm not going to try to justify it. I'm just going to say, I repent.
forgive me. And then I'm going to change my position. And I'm going to stand at the door and I'm going to say to the enemy when he comes, not today and not tomorrow and not the next day. You might as well go see my neighbor. They're an easy target. <laughs>